Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sunup. The Daily Sunup podcast is a conversation with the Colorado Sun. See our trust indicators at coloradosun.com slash ethics. It's Monday, February 26th. Today, Sun Outdoors reporter Jason Blevins takes us to Silverton Mountain Ski Area in southwestern Colorado, where he caught up with the new owners of the Humble Operations. Before we begin, whether you're buying a new home, taking a loan to purchase your first car, or putting money away for a rainy day, banking doesn't need to be complicated. Above all else, Alpine Bank wants you to achieve your dreams. It's that simple. For 50 years, our focus has been on you, and for the next 50 and beyond, that won't change. Because a better tomorrow for our customers starts with helping their dreams come true today. Learn more about Alpine Bank and its services at alpinebank.com or stop in and see us. Now let's go back in time with some Colorado history. Fort Garland was established by the U.S. Army in 1858 to replace the inadequate Fort Massachusetts. It played a pivotal role in maintaining peace among Native Americans, Hispanos, and Anglos in the San Luis Valley. Under leaders like Kit Carson, it engaged in key events such as the Civil War's Battle of Glorieta Pass and attempted peace negotiations with the Utes who eventually ceded the valley in 1868. As transportation evolved, the fort lost its strategic importance and was abandoned in 1883. Later repurposed for homes and businesses, the site was transformed into a museum by the State Historical Society in 1958 and was added to the National Register of Historic Places on this day in 1970. Before we continue, thanks for listening to The Daily Sunup from the Colorado Sun. Please take a moment to rate and review us in your podcast player. Tell us what you think of the show, share your ideas, and help us reach new listeners. Thank you. Now our future story. Hey, happy Monday, and thanks for listening to The Sunup today. I'm David Krause, one of the editors here at The Sun, and it's time for a Monday outdoor session with my good friend and Sun Outdoors reporter, Jason Blevins. What's going on, Mr. Blevins? Not much, DK. Doing well. Hey, uh, we mentioned it a few weeks ago, Jason. You did a little um, trip around the state, picking up some stories. One of your stops was down in uh, beautiful Silverton, Colorado, down southwest over by um, Durango area. Beautiful, beautiful mountain town. Um, to check out uh, the new owners of a place that you've been going to and following for decades since its inception. Um, Talking about Silverton Mountain and the two new owners who are based out of Aspen. Uh, Jason, give us a little bit of info on your recon mission down to see what's going on at Silverton with the new guys. Yeah, hit the bullseye on that trip. We had 30 plus inches of snow over a couple days and uh, just all time how town <laughs> at silverton mountain um had a great great trip i've been going down to silverton since uh 2000 the year 2000 when uh aaron brill who founded that ski area was living in the back of a ups truck at the base of a muddy collection of mining claims that he was slowly assembling um his initial plan back then was to build something akin to the ski clubs that he had just visited in new zealand where kind of a membership, people pay a couple bucks, ride a chairlift to the top of a mountain, and they can go wherever they want. Um, he was hoping to sort of replicate that model over there in the San Juans. Um, the plan evolved over 
the 24 years that he and his wife, Jenny, ran and operated uh, or created and operated Silverton Mountain. And over that time, there's a lot of changes, but they sort of adhered very closely to this very, you know, kind of soulful approach to skiing. It was based in accountability. They um, asked that you wear avalanche safety equipment. You did a lot of hiking. You got into very steep, technical, daunting terrain, high consequence terrain, a lot of mostly always guided a couple shoulder weekends where they had unguided, but just a, a, a truly unique and different ski experience in the, uh, in the ski world, no grooming, no food, you know, like it's just a base tent down there. It's a very, um, different, rustic, no frills approach to skiing that is, uh, extremely rare in the Western ski area landscape. Um, and the new owners, couple 30 something fellows named Andy Culp and Brock Straussberger. They are, uh, they have really kind of promising to protect what, uh, the Brills created down there. And it's, it's a unique experience. And these two are definitely on board with, uh, protecting that sort of unique culture and vibe at, at Silverton mountain. Jason, you, you know, the Brills were there for so long and, and a lot of people questioned their intent right and when it started for sure. Um, probably ruffled some feathers over the years as they kind of built up this incredible economic driver in the wintertime, right? But how, what what's the feeling in the town? Um, seems kind of mixed, you know, sad to see him go, good to see new blood in or how, how, what's the feel down there? Yeah, a little bit of both. You know, when it, when Aaron and Jenny first started in the early 2000s, um, there was a lot of concern about Avalanche Hazard. There was another developer, a fellow from Aspen, who was planning a very large resort with a giant restaurant on the top and a massive gondola connecting the town to the top of Velocity Peak. Um, and he'd been working on that for 10, 15 years and it was really kind of not really more spinning his wheels than actually making progress when Aaron started buying all these mining claims around where he planned this thing. Um, and a lot of avalanche experts warned Aaron that he was going to uh, kill skiers. That was kind of, they were very upfront about that. Lots of stories about huge avalanches coming down in that basin, that velocity peak basin and, you know, sweeping up the other side and, you know, you're going to kill all these skiers. And, you know, Aaron developed a very robust avalanche mitigation program. He hired some of the best names in avalanche um, mitigation in the West. Doug Krause ran avalanche safety at that scare for, for many years. Um, and they really, uh, you know, Aaron sort of developed a, a very strong avalanche mitigation program. It's important to know 24 years up there, including helicopter skiing that they added, you know, 10 years in um, they've, never lost a skier to in an avalanche. That's sort of a point of pride over there, but these new owners obviously coming in and they, they promised to sort of listen for a year. Um, one of the deals that the bills required was that they keep the 50 person staff they had assembled at Silverton mountain intact. Um, one of the things that often gets overlooked when you talk about all the things the bills built there at Silverton mountain, um, they assembled a heck of a team, like 50, plus people who are just true 
passionate skiers and really knowledgeable and hardworking. And most of them own their own homes in Silverton Mountain, in the town of Silverton, which there are very few resort operators in the world who can say that a majority of their staff own their own homes in the community. Um, but uh, Andy and Brock, who the new owners, are, are very respectful of what's been built and they, they've kept that crew intact. They're listening. They're, you know, sitting in on every guide meeting and uh, skiing with every guide. And they're really good skiers, incredible skiers. Spent that, you know, a couple days with them and they were jumping off cliffs and shredding anything they could find that was, that was steep and deep. Um, pretty, pretty avid skiers, experts. And, you know, they're, they're generating respect among that, that, that crew there. And in the town, there's a lot of, appreciation for that new blood. You, you hear the words new energy over and over. Um, the Brills with their um, expansive helicopter operation and as the one of the largest employers in the town, there were, there were people in the community that were not fans of the Brills, um, as is common with just about any large employer in a small community. Um, so they're, you know, those folks are glad to see the Brills go. And then folks who are Big fans of the Brills, uh, you know, say like, hey, it's so cool to, you know, our, our great, you know, economic boosters got a got a sale and they're able to move up to Alaska and, you know, pursue their helicopter skiing business up there. So, you know, th there's anticipation, a lot of really good anticipation. The two bought a big house, a big building, you know, 10,000 square foot American Legion building in uh in downtown Silverton where they're thinking they might build hotel or, you know, maybe some worker housing, a lot of options there for, for those guys, but they're, they're kind of in a listen mode as they, as they work with, you know, the, the town and, and the crew there and trying to figure out what, where they kind of can make some improvements. And from what I understand, from what they say that, their big plan for investment is going to be maybe to improve the heli ski. And they got some a couple higher capacity bell helicopters, two of them now, um, instead of the Brills had a, a pretty small A star, but these new bell 205s will fit two, three times as many people. Um, they want to grow the connection between Silverton and Aspen, fly those helicopters over to Aspen, pick up some, um, you know, heli skiing clients, scheme around all day, maybe put them up for a night or two in Silverton and then take them home. Um, you know, that that's high yield operation right there. And, you know, there are ideas that they could maybe generate a lot of revenue with the heli while kind of protecting that, you know, single double chairlift with, uh, you know, you know, the one chairlift and, and all the train out there, protect the powder and kind of keep the ski area pretty much rolling the way it is right now. Jason, real quick, for those of us who haven't ever been there, um, break down, like, what does it cost to go? What is it, you know, can you walk up and buy a lift ticket? You know, it's pretty extreme, like you said. You can't be, you know, a, a groom rider. Um, you know, you got to have some chops to do it. But um, how has that changed over the years, Jason? And, and what kind of numbers do they see? So, uh, they are capped at 400 skiers a day. Um, that's per their BLM permit. Silverton mm -hmm. Mountain is the only ski area on Bureau of Land Management land in the lower 48. 
Um, part of the reason that uh, the Brills sort of had to evolve their program is that the environmental review by the BLM to access 1,300 acres of BLM land around their privately owned mining claims, um, it took several years and mm -hmm. many millions of dollars as the BLM closely scrutinized its only ski area in the lower 48. So, um, yeah, you you should make a reservation. I think you they require that you make a reservation uh, just because of that cap. Um, tickets for guided skiing range from 229 in the early season to 269 in the in the high season. And again, that's guided skiing. Um, late season, they have some unguided weekends where tickets are only $99. And one of the more unique aspects at Silverton Mountain is that they will give you a bump in their heli for $184 or something like that. Um, that is the cheapest helicopter skiing ride you can find <laughs> in, in the U.S., especially probably in Europe, too. Um, yeah, you just do not get helicopter rides for less than $200 to go skiing. So if you're maybe curious about helicopter skiing, that is a um, very affordable way to uh, sort of dip your toe and see if that's something that uh, you would want to pursue. Most places are, you know, many thousands of dollars for a day of heli skiing. But um, yeah, there's, there's, you know, it's an interesting business model and very unusual out there for uh little town of Silverton, you know, not very many people live in Silverton. When the Brills moved there, that town pretty much shut down at winter. And um, those two, Silverton Mountain has uh, undoubtedly sparked a wintertime economy that is uh, greatly appreciated in San Juan County. Yeah, really interesting. I'd be really uh, intrigued to see how it develops in the next two to five years as they do their listening session and all that. But really great to have your insight on a ski resort that you've seen come, like you said, from the back of an old UPS truck to a, a million dollar entity, no doubt, for sure. Indeed. It's a, it's a fascinating, there is nothing in skiing, especially in Colorado and pretty much the West, that is similar to Silverton Mountain. It is a very unique ski experience. One of the, uh, one of the best ski experiences in my book that you can have. Hey, that's awesome. Uh, thanks, JB. I want to thank everybody for tuning in again today. Uh, if you want to read this story or read more about the outdoors, go to coloradosun.com and click on that outdoors tab up at the top. Uh, you can also sign up for Jason's weekly outsider newsletter at coloradosun.com slash outsider. And hey, if you're listening to this uh, on whatever your favorite device is, give us uh, do us a favor and uh, maybe give us a review. Tell us how we're doing. I'm always interested to hear in that. So uh, appreciate all our readers. The podcast been doing really great the past year as we've kind of played with the format through the through the years. And uh, you got time, uh, give us a couple of five stars and, and let us know how we're doing. We uh, really appreciate that love. Hey, Jason, make it a great week, buddy. Thanks, DK. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. Colorado needs three times the number of public defenders it employs today to meet new workload standards for criminal defense. For next budget year, which starts July 1st, Colorado's Office of the State Public Defender is asking for 70 more attorneys and 58 new support staff at a total cost of $14.7 million. 
That's still less than 230 new attorneys the office says it needs, let alone the 700-plus hires it would take to triple current staffing levels to meet the recommendations of a national study backed by the American Bar Association. The University of Colorado, Colorado Springs student who was shot and killed along with another person made several complaints to university officials about his roommate who has been charged with their deaths. According to the arrest affidavit unsealed Friday, investigators say 25-year-old Nicholas Jordan threatened to kill his roommate after an incident in January about unkempt trash in their dorm. Jordan's roommates also complained to the university about unsafe living conditions. Jordan faces two counts of first-degree murder in the shooting deaths of Samuel Knopp and Sally Montgomery. Jordan remains in jail on a $5 million bond. A proposed plan for improving mail handling in Grand Junction is drawing plenty of criticism. As laid out by a Postal Service Western Division supervisor, the mail would be shipped to Denver for sorting, then back. That left many at a meeting last week shaking their heads about what the plan would actually entail. Those on the western slope know about the challenges along Interstate 70 because of the weather, wildfires, accidents, and rock slides. Postal officials said the mail could still be delivered in two days in spite of that detour. That drew a large amount of skepticism from the crowd. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Now a quick message from our team. I'm Lauren Wynott, Director of Membership at the Colorado Sun. I came to work at The Sun because quality, trustworthy journalism is important. As a reader and listener, I find The Sun to be a breath of fresh air. The journalists tell Colorado stories that keep me informed, entertained, and engaged. If you also trust The Sun for your news, join me as a member at coloradosun.com join. Your support helps to bring you and other Coloradans the news you deserve. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you.